Uh, we're excited to have Jay Height, leader of Shepherd Community, his wife Jane with us. Can you give them a big, big elevation welcome as he comes to present the word today? Thank you, Pastor. And uh, it's important for me to also mention one of my colleagues attends church here. Becca, would you stand? She will shoot me for that. Uh, she does a great job and, and really appreciate her partnership in the kingdom serving at Shepherd with us. Uh, it is good to be with you. Uh, at the end of the month, Jane and I will celebrate 26 years of serving at, at Shepherd. And um, that's a privilege. But I will tell you that the last year has been challenging, but has changed me more than any other time. Let me tell you a little bit about Jane and I. Uh, we've been married 33 years. We served in Cincinnati prior to coming here in an area called Over the Rhine. We have three kids. Jeremy has spoken here. Uh, Jeremy and his wife, Ritu, they have two grandchildren, Zane and Ruby, and one coming next month. Uh, after serving at Shepherd, they were missionaries in West Africa and now serve in Nashville, Tennessee. And so we're thankful they are serving in full-time ministry uh, our second child, Jenna, is married to Edson Solores. Edson serves at Shepherd. Jenna was a teacher, but has stayed home with their little guy, Noah. And he turns two. Uh, Ruby turned two yesterday. And Noah turns two Wednesday. And so we're, we're excited. To, they live just a few minutes from us. And then our youngest, Jill, is married to Ryan. They have three kids. And they live in Yorktown, uh, Indiana. And he is a youth pastor. And so we are blessed because all three of our kids serve in full-time ministry. My retirement plan is ruined. Um, I was hoping one of them would make money for dad. But uh, I have a retirement plan. It's called Welcome to Walmart. And uh, Jane said, you'll never retire. Just keep working. And so we're really blessed. Uh, we have six grandkids. And for those of you with grandkids, you understand this. Grandchildren is God saying to you, you survived middle school with your kids, I owe you. And so I will bless you. And so we're blessed with six, soon to be seven grandkids, and uh, blessed by our kids all serving in ministry. Um, but let me just talk about what this last year has been in the life of Shepherd Community. And I think it's best exemplified how many of you with little kids, or you remember the day, you would get up in the middle of the night and go to the restroom and you would step on a Lego. And you would say, bless you, my child. <laughs> oh, son or daughter, thank you for leaving that in the middle of the hallway. But a Lego by itself can do really not much, right? Legos are different shapes, different sizes, different colors, but they all do the same thing. They connect on the top and on the bottom, just like us. We are all Legos created for connection. To, to God and to each other. And if we are not connecting, we're useless. Because God created us for connection. And so this last year has been an opportunity like none other to connect. 
you know, people say, well, it was all about social distancing. I had a pastor friend of mine said, yeah, but prayer brings me into proximity. And while the world was separated, the church had the opportunity to connect because we are Legos. So about a year, a little over a year ago, uh, food became a huge need of our community. And we were doing food distributions, and then we began to deliver to their homes. And Jane and I, every Wednesday morning, had the privilege to deliver food to about 10 families. And they're our friends. But let me just tell you about one. His name is Mike. If you met Mike, he would terrify you. Mike's face is all tatted up. He's got tattoos all over him. But over his right eye, it says, feel my pain. And my prayer has been, God, help me feel his pain. Mike's had a rough life. He's dying of stage four liver cancer. His wife just diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. They're our friends. Last Wednesday, we were delivering food to his house. And uh, we had a friend with us. And so Jane and I and our friend... And our friend says, Mike, do you know Jesus? And he said, yes. And he talks about what this last year has meant to him. And then he says, do you know what, though? Sometime I want to get baptized. He said, well, go get some water. And on our front porch on a Wednesday morning, we baptized him in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus felt his pain. Mike didn't need a program. You understand food opened the door. But Mike needed a Lego to connect to. And he didn't need Jay or Jane. It's not our job to represent Jesus. It's our job to represent Jesus. Mike needed Jesus next door neighbor Donna we've been visiting Donna sometime and yesterday afternoon she had brought a neighbor who was dying of cancer into her home the last two years we've served him communion his name is Jose we prayed with him and yesterday about 1230 he went on to eternity into the hands of a loving God and so we mourn with Donna because she's our friend Donna has said some things like, I never knew church could be this way. Because we've defined church so narrowly, you as a church are not defined by a location on County Line in Sherman. You are Legos created for connection. Are you connected? We, tomorrow, about a hundred and some kids will be pouring into Shepherd elementary age, and then 50 middle school, high schoolers. The good news is I'm not in charge of organizing them. Becca is. <laughs> Those kids, their stories are tough. And, and in the city, we live close together, and there's a lot of us. But loneliness is the epidemic 
that's ravaging our community. And by the way, it's ravaging yours as well. We're no longer living as neighbors. 31% of Americans today know their neighbors. I grew up 240 West Norman, Dayton, Ohio. I was spanked by every mother on that block. And it was usually my brother's fault. We'd go on vacation. You gave the keys to the neighbors, right? In the evenings, where did you everyone sit? On the front porch. I remember Mrs. Tremble lived in a little apartment building. It was four apartments right beside us. She was sick, and so my mom sent me over with lunch for her. Because that's what you did, right? She was watching a soap opera, and so at six, seven years old, thought it was important to let her know that Christians didn't watch soap operas. <laughs> she thought it was hysterical. My mother did not. Um, I lived right next door. By the time I got home, she had already called my mom laughing. Mom wasn't laughing when I walked in the door. That's how we lived. You'd play all day up and down the street, right? Get up early, I'd try to beat my brothers to the kitchen so I could get the cereal box first, stick my hands in for the 3D trading baseball card. They loved it that I stuck my hands all the way through all of the cereal. That's how we lived. Dad would get home from work. He'd drive into the driveway and talk to Mr. Amos because he got home about the same time. At night... While we were doing dishes, mom would open the window and Mrs. Amos, her house, her kitchen faced our kitchen. That's how they designed them back then. And they would do dishes talking. And then after dinner, we would go out and we would play up and down the street. And our parents would sit and talk. But we've lost something. The porch moved to the back. The windows are closed because we have central air. You no longer park in the driveway. You have a garage door opener. We no longer live in community. We no longer know our neighbors. And we've lost something. We're no longer connected. And what the world needs is connection. Oh, we're, we're delivering food about 160 families now each week we're delivering the ministry of shepherd and we could use volunteers to help with that and um, what what we tell them is the food opens the door there's one of our guys that we deliver to he's our last stop 61 year old single gentleman who I don't think really cares about the food this one's someone to talk to Someone to pray with. We're all Legos created for connection. We're touching lives of kids and families, and we're so blessed to see how God has grown the ministry. Shepherd is 35 years old. This uh, November, November will be 36 years old. God's doing amazing things, sometimes despite our efforts, right? And we appreciate the partnership, Pastor. For those of you 
give and, and how that supports our work. We appreciate it. I want to read a scripture for you today. It's one that you'll probably recognize. It's out of Luke 10. It is the story of the Good Samaritan, beginning in verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And I'm going to just hold. What you see here is he's trying to trip Jesus up, right? Jesus isn't going to define the address. He's going to define what it is to be a neighbor. Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Who are we called to have mercy on? Let me tell you a story. Before we were here uh, in Indianapolis, we served in the inner city area called Over the Rhine in Cincinnati. It was the Monday before Thanksgiving, November. I left home and I went down the road, Quebec, to Western Hills, coming up on the Western Hills Viaduct. I still don't know. I lived in Cincinnati for a, for a few years. It looks like a bridge. They call them a viaduct. I don't know but uh, the Western Hills Viaduct. Three lanes coming in, and as I pull up, the, a bus is stopped in the right lane. There's four cars in front of me, two go in the left, two cut in front of the bus, and they keep going, and as I pull up their lane in the middle of the street, is a little boy. I jump out of my car, I run over to him, he's been hit, and, and he has skidded. His coat is bunched up, I pull it down, there's blood trickling from his mouth, from his nose, from his ear. His left leg, he had ran in front of the bus. The car hit him in his left leg. His bone is protruding and he's bleeding. And I take my coat off. I put it on him. And just then, a lady comes running towards me. And she said, her and the other lady in the pickup truck that was right behind me, if you want to know if there's a miracle working God, she said, we're emergency room nurses from Children's Hospital. Do what I say. And I was ready to listen. And the other brought out this huge first aid kit. And, and so one of the nurses is working to stop the bleeding in his left leg. 
The other one looked at me and she said, we have to start CPR. And she brought out the bag and she said, you need to keep squeezing it. And she knew she needed to keep me focused. And so as she would do the chest compressions, she said, keep him going. You got to keep him breathing. You got to keep him alive. You got to keep him going. You got to keep him breathing. You got to keep him alive. You got to keep him going. You got to keep him breathing. You got to keep him alive. It seemed like forever a police officer pulls up, he has oxygen. He puts the oxygen mask on. I go over and I pray with the driver of the car. And I come back and, and so they're on the, the two nurses were on their way to the hospital to work. And so the one is getting in the back of the ambulance to keep working on him. And I asked the other one, I said, is, she, is he going to make it? And she said, I don't know. Well, I'll give you the good news. Curtis survives. Um, yeah. Praise God. I finish my drive to the office. I walk in. I have blood on me. I'm crying. And I can remember calling Jane at home. And I said, how could those four cars in front of me drive by a little boy dying in the middle of the street? I was angry. We began to go to the hospital. On Thanksgiving Day, Jane and I took a meal in. His mother wouldn't leave him. He was tied down because he had swelling on the brain, and he spent a long time in recovery. But thankfully, Curtis survived. That Sunday morning, in my prayer time, God said, Jay, you do the same thing. Now, God and I argue at times. I always lose. I said, what? He said, who's your neighbor? Do you know the couple that live next door? What about your family members who don't know Jesus, that are dying a spiritual death, and are you driving by them? So here's what I want to do today. I want us to look at what, what was it about the, the priest and the Levite that kept them going? Maybe that gives us a glimpse into those four cars. Maybe, sadly, it gives a glimpse into our own lives. And then we'll look at the Good Samaritan. So how do we not walk across? How, how do you not stop? Well, we're good at excuses. Maybe they say, well, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nurse. I'm not training. I'm not the pastor. He is. If they need something, that's really the pastor's job, right? I'll pray for them and keep driving. Maybe the, the, the priest and the Levite said, you know, I got to go do ministry. I don't have time to minister. I got to get to another meeting. We lose sight of this idea of the Lego. Compassion is messy. Compassion breaks your heart. And 
maybe, oh, I'm not trained for that. I got to get to work. Man, it's getting late and I've already been delayed by the accident. I need to keep going. We're good at excuses. He's a God of the solutions. I'm going to tell you, folks, I had no idea what I was going to do when I got out of that car. But God did. We, we have to accept risk. You see throughout Jesus' ministry, they'd say, who are you talking to? Who, who are you being seen with? My dad would say, son, reputation is what other people say about you. Integrity is who you are. Do we worry about reputation? Do we worry about whether we can succeed? I guarantee you, of all the people I've ministered to, I, and, and the, this last year, as, as much as I've come to love Mike, I never thought I would stand on his porch and baptize him. God did. Found out God doesn't need my advice. We have to be willing to risk getting to know the story. I'll I'll confess uh, something, true story, unfortunately, a few weeks ago. I had an interview with a gentleman for a position at Shepherd, and the night before we get an email saying, I'm sorry, I got court, court tomorrow. I'm not going to make the interview. Well, let me ask you, what would that say to you about the interview? You didn't know you had court? You wait until the night before. I went ahead and I, against my own judgment, I made another appointment. He came in. We talked for a little bit. And I said, tell me, how'd court go? He said, it was really hard. He said, a month ago, my brother was murdered in St. Louis. And I promised mom I would go to the arraignment with her. I had forgotten it. It was that day. About this point, I'm feeling this tall. We have to be willing to risk it when we don't understand it. God doesn't call us to succeed. He calls us to be obedient. And then this, this idea that I think the Levites and, and the priests, we serve the God of busyness more than the God of the universe. You know, I got to get to church. I got to get to this. I got to do this. And they leave a guy laying there. They had all the reasons why they shouldn't stop, right? We, we have all of the reasons why we shouldn't witness to our family member because they might get mad at us. Well, let's for a moment look at the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan does three things that are much different than what? He saw. Are we looking for those opportunities to minister? And are we seeing them through the eyes of Jesus? 
Do I see my friend Mike as Jesus sees him? Or do we see him how the world sees him? Jesus saw them and died on a cross. Father, give us eyes to see as you see. It, it's my favorite passage of scripture out of 2 Kings. If you were to come into my office and pour, pull up the carpet, I ask you not do that. Um, I wrote this on, under my desk on the concrete before we laid the carpet. It's the story of Elisha and his servant. The king of Aram sends his army. Open his eyes that he may see he who is with us is greater than he who is with them. Father, give me vision to see what you're up to. Loving our neighbor. It, now, maybe you live in the world like we do. I have a neighbor who mows four times a week. And I have a neighbor who mows probably four times a year. <laughs> yeah. And... and God has called me to love them both. Do we see them? Do we see them? The, the second thing he did is he, first he saw them and then he stopped. That could have cost him his life, you know. How many of you like C.S. Lewis? I love C.S. Lewis. Um, my wife likes C.S. Lewis. When we go over to J.R. Tolkien, I lose her. Uh, but we, we love C.S. Lewis. And, and uh, remember when Lucy is talking to Mr. Beaver? If you don't know what I'm talking about, you think I've absolutely lost it at this point. But Lucy's talking to Mr. Beaver, and she's talking about Aslan, who represents Jesus. And she says, is he safe? Says, oh, no, he's not safe. But he's good. We have to stop, even when it's not safe. Safe for our reputation. Not safe for a lot of things. We got to stop. Because we have a God. Aslan's on the move. And then he, he saw him, he stopped, and he acted. How do we act? How do we live? Let me tell you, my daughter-in-law, Jane's daughter-in-law, married to our son, Ritu, was born into a Punjabi Sikh family, Indian. And they lived at the time in Michigan. And every Saturday, two women came to their door. We'd like to invite you to church. Oh, no, we don't go to church. Next week. like to invite you to church. This went on for weeks. And her father finally said, would you go to church so they'll stop coming? <laughs> they acted. And it seemed like it was going nowhere. But Ritu went to church and she saw kids from her school and so she asked if she could keep going back. 
she accepted Jesus Christ. And she served with my son as a missionary in West Africa and now serving ministry in Nashville, Tennessee. Why? Because someone acted. Let me tell you a story. It's a story of John. John was born into a home where his father was very abusive, very mean to him, to his mother, to his brother, his two sisters. And uh, he, he was a difficult man. And, and he would, uh, one of the stories that I had heard was he would tell his kids, you start crying, I'm going to beat you till you stop crying. Horrible man. John grows up, gets married. He has two sons, Mark and Scott. And he loses his job, and then he moves in with his in-laws. <laughs> Life's not going good for him. He moves in with his in-laws, and he's looking for a job. And there's a guy next door. The next-door neighbor's name is Norm. Norm has vision. He sees. And what he saw in John was a guy who needed to connect, who needed Jesus. And so he becomes friends with John, and he tries to help him find a job, and it was a difficult time. And he says, hey, John, I'd like to hire you to paint my house. We'll do it in the evenings because I want to do it with you. And so there at a paintbrush, John, let me tell you about my best friend. At the end of a paintbrush, Norm led John to Christ. An angry man. Changed his life, changed his family's life. Let me tell you about his grandchildren. One served as a missionary in West Africa and now serves in Nashville, Tennessee. One's husband serves at Shepherd Community. One's married to a youth pastor in Yorktown. For you see, that's my story. John was my father. And Norm loved my dad. I'm born about six months after this. At the end of a paintbrush, which, by the way, we found out later, they painted a house that didn't need painting. But he knew my dad wouldn't take charity. And so he crossed the road to where my dad was. They became best friends in my home church there in Dayton, Ohio. They each taught adult Sunday school class for over 40 years. The two classes in that church. When dad died, Norm spoke at my dad's funeral. At Norm's funeral, I was one of four pastors who spoke. It was a very long funeral. <laughs> It was a privilege. The other three, oh, by the way, they were led to Christ by Norm on a softball field. And all entered the ministry later. When we love our neighbor, amazing things happen. And you say, Jay, you've not seen my LinkedIn file. You've not seen my resume. I don't have that skill set. And here's the great news. God doesn't look at those. In Exodus 3, he's having a conversation with Moses. I think this is a very humorous passage. He says, Moses, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back to Egypt. And Moses is like, wait a minute, I want it back there. 
He said, I know, I know, but I want you to go back. And he said, how do I know you're, you're sure that this is the right thing? And he says, well, after you do it, when you're back here worshiping me, then you'll know. That's verse 12. And I'm sure Moses is going, hey, wait a minute, time out. Could I know a little earlier? But it's why it's called a faith journey. I guarantee you, 26 years ago, when Jane and I came to minister, we had no idea that 26 years later we'd still be here. God did. Because God's got this. And, and where we know that is in verse 19. He says, oh, by the way, Moses, everything you try won't work. But my mighty hand will move. He doesn't need our success. He needs our obedience. We have to cross the road. That day in the streets of Cincinnati had no idea. All I did was squeeze a bag. But God showed up. There are plenty of people in your life who are dying in the streets of life. Who you can give a spiritual CPR to. To keep them going, keep them breathing, and keep them alive for eternity. That's the work that we're answering in the near east side of Indianapolis but I want you to know it's your call to where you live. It's your call to love your neighbor, to get to know him, whatever that looks like. And oh, by the way, your neighbor is whoever God puts into your life. I'll tell this. When we lived, we lived right on, off of Washington Street, six houses. And I have asthma. Two of our kids have asthma. Jane spent a lot of time in the pharmacy at, at Walgreens there. And uh, we would walk into that store, and they would run by me to go find Jane so they could tell her what they needed her to pray with. I'm like, I'm the pastor. <laughs> you know, dad, you know, it's like when your little kid gets hurt, they run between your legs and go find mom. Um, because they had connected like Legos. And whether it's Walgreens, whether it's at your business, whether it's your family, whether it's at your school, God has called us to connect. Because we're all Legos created for connection. 